0: Welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith.
1: I am David Bax. And thank you for
0: listening. <laughs> David, what, what's going on? How are you doing?
1: Oh, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, I've um, been to the movies a little bit recently. Okay. Um, I saw, well, I went to the uh, the Egyptian Theater, to the LA Film Forum screening of uh, some experimental films by uh, Robert Nelson. Robert okay. Nelson was there in person um oh last night i went to uh to the silent movie theater to see uh uh never re- be- a movie that 's never been released from nineteen sixty two called the world great world 's greatest sinner okay the reason I mentioned these things to you all <clears> right <throat> is because we got an email fairly recently that accused us of not being pretentious or obscure enough <laughs> uh, I just want yeah, to make it right, clear yes. that you know what i I I I can I can uh be obscure with the best of them. Yeah. I just don't want to obscure myself out of a listenership. Absolutely. I mean that, that guy's a nice guy and uh, I'm glad that he, you know, cared that for us to see some uh off the beaten path movies, but yeah. there's a re I mean uh yeah, I see weird stuff and I <laughs> I see stuff that no one's ever heard of. And guess what? Because you've never heard of it, it wouldn't be interesting to you if I talked about it. So,
0: there you go. Um and you know actually that leads me to something else and you and i discussed this before uh we got another you know it actually wasn't an email it was uh somebody had posted uh on their blog about this are you noticing something with our levels or or something
1: just keeping an eye okay just Um, Just doing my job all right that's that's true Um, i'm co-host slash producer i'm
0: just i'm (laughs) co-host i have no i have no uh
1: other obligations um well i think you're your chief host the whole the whole whole podcast was your idea and you've got a much longer list of shit to talk about today than i do
0: (laughs) (laughs) well fair enough um so i'm the david letterman to your paul schaefer is that what you're telling me (laughs) if paul schaefer also produced the show and didn't do any music um (laughs) (laughs) okay um but no here's what i here's what i what i will say in reference to what you just said is That guy accused us of not being pretentious enough. Somebody had uh, put a a post up, a a very affectionate one, you know, saying that they liked uh, the podcast and everything, and then went on to describe us as, you know, the stuff they like is very pretentious and all that. Now, I don't like to let people see behind the curtain or anything, but in case you haven't guessed, I don't consider myself pretentious, and David, I don't think you do either.
1: No, I don't consider you pretentious either.
0: Well, you know what I mean, you know, I... (laughs) <laughs> our, our, the name of our show is Fairly Tongue-in-Cheek. Yeah. Uh, And and we've never actually addressed this, but the word pretentious gets thrown around quite a bit, and it usually is thrown around wrong. Yeah. Like, the way this person said, it's like, yes, the things they discuss are very pretentious. It's like, really? When we talked about visual effects or German expressionism... In most of the
1: movies that we... Discuss on this show are readily available either in the theater or yeah. Netflix or whatever.
0: And what's more, just because they may aspire to the level of art or something like that, does not necessarily make them pretentious. In fact, I'd say maybe the opposite. And so I guess that's the that's that's the question: is what you know what what would you say your definition just off the top of your head right now? What would you say your definition of pretentious is?
1: Um, I guess uh, someone who uh, uh, assumes that he's better than. The majority of other people
0: now what about a a pretentious movie can you think of like a a movie that has its
1: head up its ass and thinks that it's uh more important okay uh than, than it is okay um i once saw a film and i can't remember i can remember very little about it maybe i'll look it up on imdb it's called innocence and it was about uh it was sort of a friendship slash uh love story between two elderly people okay and it's the definition of pretentious it's unwatchable it's got this this this, all these ridiculous soliloquies and monologues that are clearly supposed to be uh, i don't know it's supposed to supposed to be high art but it's uh, i I wouldn't show that movie to anyone who doesn't watch you know art films or independent films or whatever because i'd be afraid of the conclusions to which they would jump (laughs) um
0: yeah like when i think of pretentious i usually think in turn like there's I I can't bring up a lot of movies because I think, you know, pretentious is usually, like, giving the impression of being very important and all that, but, like, if you, you know, if asked to actually back up any of its, you know, any of its uh, ambitions or anything, it can't. Like, somebody is like, oh, a shot like this really is, uh, it means a lot, so I'm gonna use it. And it's like, well, what does it mean for your movie? I don't know. You know, like, (laughs) they understand that Oh, something like this is very symbolic, and it's like, well, it has to be symbolic of something, you know. And so, like with uh, with film fans, there are people, and you know, and I'm sure I was one of these at one time who will find themselves liking a movie because they know that people it will look they will look a certain way for liking that movie. They will look cool or smart or hip, even if they may they may not like the movie that much, or they who knows maybe they haven't seen it at all, Um, or this can extend to certain filmmakers and there's nothing wrong with liking certain movies or filmmakers as long as you can back it up and explain why you like it beyond simply like oh yeah it's just it's just awesome he's just so you know he's just so you know anti-establishment and that kind of thing like i don't know i i find it for myself when i think of pretentious i usually think of certain types of film fans, you know? Yeah. I um, think
1: with what, what this person who was complaining that we were too pretentious, I think the word that... Sorry, I had to take a drink of water mid-sentence there because I'm very <laughs> unprofessional. Um, the word that he was probably... While holding
0: lo- a cigarette, by the way.
1: <laughs> the word that he was probably looking for was uh, esoteric.
0: Okay. Uh, that's... Which yeah. we...
1: And we're generally, I guess... I guess if you're comparing us to maybe uh, a film podcast that's sort of review-based, yeah. we are somewhat esoteric. You right. have to know and care a little bit about movies to care about what we're talking about. Right. But we don't get super esoteric.
0: Yeah, I mean, every once in a while we'll throw out a denibelungen or something like that. But, you know, it's right. just some episodes are going to be a little little closer to that than others, you know. But, uh, but yeah, so it's just – I guess that was the thing is when – you know, talking about, you know, film and that kind of thing, you are going to run across people who say, it's like, oh, well, that's pretentious, or or, or you're acting pretentious. And what I think they mean, well, they usually mean it in some kind of weird, kind of judgmental, superior way, um, like you're putting on airs, I guess, is uh, another way of putting it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, no. And, and when you're open to good film, you will find it, in places most people don't think to look that does not necessarily make you a pretentious person just because you are looking in other places that people may not you know be aware of yeah so we can't please anybody david we're either too pretentious or not pretentious enough yeah so anyway um well all right uh, so what have you been up to lately I went to, <laughs> I went to uh let's see this past Wednesday I went to a movie premiere my very first uh Jen's... only movie
1: premieres I've been to are the ones I worked when I worked at the art gallery
0: <laughs> I uh James so, I've, I've, I've
1: I've I've given uh, free popcorn to Sandra Bullock but uh, oh wow I guess maybe not she was there I don't remember if I gave her anything okay but... um
0: yeah the uh Jen's boss gave us uh free tickets to the uh to the Fool's Gold premiere. Where was that? That was at the uh the Chinese Theater. Oh, fun. Yeah, it was fun. It's the first time I've ever been in the big theater. Uh you and I have seen a movie there, but it was in one of the smaller theaters. Uh that's,
1: that's a shame that that was that had to be. That had to be your first movie in the That's Chinese true. Theater. But the first movie I saw in the Chinese Theater was uh Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Oh, okay. That's not bad. And then I just recently went to uh did I talk about this last week? The uh, Cloverfield I went that Thursday at midnight, like opening. Oh, I think you did mention that. Yeah. That, was, that was a good time, even though the movie was okay.
0: That's the thing is in that theater, and especially the situation on you know that we were going. Uh, it was fun, regardless yeah, sure. of what the movie was. It was still enjoyable. It's like, oh hey, there's Donald Sutherland and there's Ewan Bremner, and you know, is Ewan uh, Bremner in that movie?
1: Yeah. Oh, now I might want to see it.
0: <laughs> uh, and so we did that, and then we also got to go to the after party.
1: Um, and where was that held?
0: Uh, I don't remember the name of it for the life of me. It was like the Sunset 8 or yeah. uh, or Sunset 3. It was Sunset something, and it was just a little club. Um, you gotta
1: get better at name-dropping. I'm
0: sorry. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was really neat. You know, We saw Matthew McConaughey there, and, and it, there were stars, and it was just... And it was just really neat, and uh, what fascinated me was um, at the beginning of the premiere, like, before the movie started, like, the director went up and everyone clapped for him, and he was talking about, like, you know, he was giving an introduction to the movie, and it, and it made me feel kind of weird, uh, because we watched, you know, we, we listened, I listened to what he said, and then we, we watched the movie, and I was like, oh, man. He really put a lot of effort into this, and that is a shame. Although I will say this, the movie did not turn out uh, nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, but still, it's just not very good, and it was wound up being kind of a waste of most people's talents. Um, and what I really wanted, are,
1: what was that? Are, do you think are we going to be seeing more Matthew McConaughey, Kate Hudson pairings? Are there maybe? The, I don't are, know. Are, are there, are, uh, uh, are they trying to push them as like the new uh, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan? Or
0: well, I think they are trying to do that. As, as far as like you know, they use that in the advertising and all that kind of thing. But frankly, like their scenes together were only so so. And Kate Hudson, for the most part, was uh, I would say wasted. But I'm not a big fan of Kate Hudson, so I'd say she yeah. was used to the. I'm best not a of big fan ability. of
1: either one of them. Whereas I like Tom Hanks, and I honestly I kind of like Meg Ryan. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, um, but.
0: But who I really wanted to see at the premiere and he wasn't there was Ray Winstone. Is um, he in the movie? He's in the movie, that's right. So, as as well as Malcolm Jamal Warner who was at the premiere and uh and what was fascinating is walking out, you know, um there really were girls with autograph autograph books like screaming out like, "Oh, we love you." And and it was kind of neat seeing them scream that to you and Bremner. Oh, really? Yeah. And I'm like, "Good for him." I I figured he wasn't going to really get much walking out. But uh but yeah, he got a nice little crowd and uh it was very
1: exciting. So were the were the main stars there?
0: Yes, they were. Did they stay? Stay at the party?
1: No, for or, the for the movie.
0: Uh yeah, I think so. Oh, okay. Um,
1: cuz here's one thing and maybe you don't know, but okay. here's one thing I know from working premieres at the ArcLight. All right. Often the stars will be there for the red carpet, they'll go in and then as soon as the movie starts, they leave. Hmm.
0: Well they were that's the thing is I didn't see them before the movie started but I we did see them leave after the movie oh, okay. was over so they must have stayed and uh yeah so it was just you know uh Jen and I are still even after a year kind of getting used to California and trying to find trying to do things in LA that you can't do anywhere else and that's a big one is going to a movie premiere of some kind and, and seeing that whole craziness circus uh, yeah so uh yeah I I enjoyed it and and it was kind of neat just seeing Donald Sutherland over there with his shock of white hair and all that, and uh, I don't know, he just kind of lends a certain amount of depth everywhere he goes, so.
1: All right. Well, we should get started on the all right. on the topic. So we've talked about, a few weeks ago, we talked about our, our favorite films of 2007. That's right. Um, but, you know, sort of uh, with the Oscar coming up, the, you know, the... The Best Picture isn't the only Oscar. Right. There are Oscars for individual achievements. Yeah, Best
0: Picture is, in fact, only one of the Oscars.
1: Right. Well, two if you count animated and foreign language. Oh, I guess that's true, yeah. Three if you count foreign language. It always kind of bothered me. And then there's they... documentary and short subjects. So There's best more there's than one Best Picture. There's a lot of Best Picture, picture related, yeah. Um,
0: slight tangent. Did it bother you that, uh, that they created a Best Animated Film uh, category? Because doesn't that basically guarantee that no animated film will ever be nominated for picture ever again?
1: Um I mean, but they've always had the foreign language Oscar, and does that guarantee that no foreign language Oscar no foreign I mean I don't think it does guarantee I guess not. Just
0: kinda I don't know.
1: I but I mean on the language, list of things about the Oscars that bother me, <laughs> I guess it's pretty low.
0: I guess well that uh, I fair, <laughs> fair enough. But I guess it's just things like I imagine that the Academy for a long time have felt that like you know animated movies are for kids and that kind of thing and shouldn't really be in contention for Best Picture. The only one I can think of was Beauty and the Beast, and uh, and foreign films. Well, those are for adults, you know. So we'll nominate. We, we may nominate it for picture someday. It'll never win. Uh huh. It'll because that's what that foreign film Oscars for, you know. Um, and I feel like now a, an animated film, no matter how good it is. Would never is never going to be nominated for Best Picture. But anyway, I'm sorry. That was a slight tangent. It just kind of bothers me. All right, you, David, you were saying. What was I? What was I saying? Oh, I think you were talking about uh, aside from Best Picture. Okay,
1: yeah, there are, there are individual achievements. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about our favorite uh, individual achievements, both that's right. uh, performance and, and technical. Yeah. Um, like I said earlier, you've got a longer list than I have. So why don't you get started?
0: Okay. Well, that's the thing is uh, I'm going to have to... I know I'm not going to be able to get to everything here. So, um I will bring So up- how
1: are we going to do this? Do do we want to do categories? Do you want to talk yeah, about Yeah, sure. Sure.
0: Okay. Uh let's, you know, we can bring up uh actors first cuz that's what most of my list is. Okay. Um and then we can move on uh to technical things if you like. Okay. No, so, go ahead. So um so I guess the first thing I'll bring up and and I'll say this that my list, I'm trying to mention Uh, performances and and, uh, individual achievements that I haven't mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago when we were discussing our favorite movies. So, for example, um, Benicio Del Toro was in a movie called Things We Lost in the Fire. Uh, Yes, he was. It is not that great of a movie. It wound up being better than I thought it was going to be. And Halle Berry does okay, but she winds up just kind of rehashing her performance in uh, Monster's Ball. Benicio Del Toro, however... He shows up in the movie and he just really reminds you of how good an actor he can be. And he winds up bringing to this character who could have been just really morose and just really just kind of a slog to get through. Um, and he winds up making him kind of funny. He plays basically this ex-drug addict, you know, who's still kind of working through his addiction. And he just winds up making him a really kind of a charming character, even in the midst of, you know doing kind of gross things. And um, so it's just a really complex performance uh, that, you know, there was a lot of... There was kind of a big Oscar push for Things We Lost in the Fire, and then, you know, the reviews came out and they said it wasn't very good. But if you look at every review, everybody talks about how good Benicio Del Toro was, and it's a shame that he just was never really in the running to be nominated, because it's his performance that that I remember most about that movie. So... Yeah, I would say, See, you know, we've talked before about how I will recommend an entire movie that may only be so-so based on one amazing performance, and this is one of those.
1: Okay. Uh, my favorite, I guess, if we're talking about male-leading performances, yeah. my favorite is one that we briefly talked about when we did the, uh, the 2007 list, but I- I'm going to go with uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman in Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Okay. Um, because his, uh, and I could almost give this to ethan Hawke too for this movie they're they're both their their level of desperation is mm-hmm. so tangible yeah uh, that it's 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 really uncomfortable and um it it may seem obvious to to talk to talk about a scene that, that's really got sort of acting and capital a acting written right. all over it but the part in before the devil knows you dead after he's left uh he's left the wake and he has oh, yeah. a sort of a breakdown in in his car yeah. you know uh it, yeah it is a big showcase he does you know sort of flip out yeah. you know but it's uh in, in it's it's not like i don't know if powerful is the word that i would use for it which it would be an easy choice for an actor to make to really right. just go for you know uh go for the home run there yeah. but it's uh, even though what he's doing is, like, sort of physically terrifying. I wouldn't want to be in the car with him while he's flipping right. out like that, you know. Uh, but it's it's the sadness that really comes to the surface.
0: It's the kind of scene that appeals to actors because, it, as you said, it gives them a big opportunity to do something. You know, an opportunity to do something really big with a character that is otherwise very controlled. I mean, later uh-huh. on in the movie, he has a tantrum that is the most controlled tantrum you've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Um, but – and this is the one scene where he really is able to cut loose. And so some actors would really jump on that like, oh, man, now's my chance. And he winds up doing something that is not appealing for an actor, which is make the character look childish and kind of pathetic.
1: Yeah. Well, he, that's definitely true. He definitely does look childish. And and uh, and given his behavior through the movie up to that point and for the rest of the movie as well uh, – he's not really he's not a likable character right but that scene is when i felt most sympathetic towards him. absolutely um because you really see that even if you don't agree about the way he feels about his family yeah he really lets you in to to that character's point of view and, yeah and how this character feels about the way he's his standing within the rest of the family
0: and i think it's notable that scene. i mean i guess this is also a, a function of the writing but like It's notable that the one big scene he has has nothing to do with the crime that has happened in the movie. You know what I mean? Like, it it comes as a result of that, but it has nothing to do directly with that. Um, And, uh, yeah, Philip Seymour Hoffman, I mean, I I was going to bring him up just in general. He had three amazing performances this year. Um, I mean, everybody has said that, but it's notable because they are just so vastly different. I mean, his performance in Charlie Wilson's War is amazing. Uh, and that one has rightfully been nominated for an Oscar. And, yeah, in this, it's just, he just does such a good job of creating a, a man who, as we've said, is just a very controlled guy because you realize pretty quick he's kind of had to be. Like, everybody else in his life is somebody that needs some kind of help, and he's never been allowed to just ask for help himself. You yeah. know, it's yeah he really conveys a lot in that performance and that scene especially you're you're
1: absolutely right all right let's talk about female leads then okay well i ha- I did have I'm sorry
0: I did have one more male lead to talk about
1: I'm is, not, it, is it necessary yes okay
0: uh, which is Emile Hirsch okay into the wild okay which this is uh this is a movie that basically into the wild is a really good movie would you say so?
1: I would say it's a good movie. Okay. Would you say he's really good in it? I would de- definitely say okay. he's really good in it.
0: Regardless of what the, you know, what you think of the movie, it is a movie that is carried by him. He is a he has a great deal of he has to do a lot. He has to make a character that you both like and don't like. You know, sometimes it'll change from one scene to the other. Like he'll say stuff that you yourself are like, "Oh, what a bratty little kid." But then he'll turn around and you're like, "Oh my gosh, this guy is he's bratty and stuff." And he kind of feels superior to others, but he and it comes from such a place of hurt and betrayal. And you have to feel that it, it's revealed slowly over the movie, but by those last few scenes, you have to feel you have to be aware of all these things in in how he's doing it. And at no point does he really push it at you know push the emotions and all that. He really just seems like just a normal kid, like you you talked about with Gone Baby Gone. That, uh, that that was the movie that really got you to sit up and take notice of Casey Affleck. Yeah. This movie really got me to sit up and take notice of Emile Hirsch as yeah. uh, really an amazing actor. So that's all I'll say because we got to move on.
1: Yeah, we definitely... Okay, so female lead. Uh, okay,
0: this is going to sound kind of strange, but this is a performance that is good. And, but most notably, it's one that I really admire because it is freaking... It is a gutsy performance, and that's Christina Ricci in uh, Black Snake Moan. Okay. Which is, a, it's very strange. She is required to do a lot of crazy-ass things in the movie and take those and weave them into a consistent character. And she really does. Like, you really do feel at first judgmental of her character, but eventually you're on her side, and by the end you're really rooting for her. And it, she she takes these odd quirks and turns them into somebody that I believe pretty much every step of the way.
1: Okay. Uh, mine's going to go to Amy Adams for enchanted. Okay. Uh, I mean, a- Amy Adams is, uh, she's good in everything. Uh, I mean, she's, uh, and, uh, I really believe that she's going to be for, mm-hmm. for years and years to come. I, Absolutely. I, uh, but, uh, I mean, there, there's a, uh there's an aesthetic in it in enchanted that's you know it's it's a little obviously a little weird and it walks a line you know mm-hmm. between the the cartoon world and the and the real world uh and 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 she she gets that and she 'cause she starts off purely cartoon mm. and i i think really the mark of a good character and a good performance within that character is is the arc how this character changes right you know and to to see her 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 growing used to the real world, you know, and coming to understand its rules and coming to find her own place in it, right, uh, is handled so subtly uh, and so perfectly that there's there's very for a movie as sort of uh, out of this world as that one is. There's very little suspension of disbelief required because of her choices.
0: Yeah, I. uh And it just seems like such the perfect role for her, you know, just because she's, I don't think I've seen, I haven't seen her in a lot of things, um, but she's just very good at seeming pleasant and naive, but smarter than one would think, you know? Um, and I'm, yeah, as you said, I'm really looking forward to seeing where her career,
1: uh, goes. Um. Okay, supporting, supporting male. Let's do that. Supporting
0: male. Ah, this was... uh, this year, there were a lot of really strong, uh, you know, supporting male performances. Um, I'm going to mention somebody that many people would consider to be uh, a lead performance. Okay. But if you want to get strict about it, because his character doesn't really have m- much of an arc, certainly not as much as the others, um, I would say Chris Cooper in Breach. Um, okay. Okay. You know, like if you look at between him and Ryan Phillippe, Ryan Phillippe goes on more of the emotional journey. Chris Cooper stays pretty much the same, Um, but it's a it's a really complex character. And again, I I guess this is what appeals to me when an actor can take very contradictory things about a character, like the fact that this guy is intensely religious, but has no qualms about just completely selling out his his country and also doing, you know, the kind of weird sexual things with his wife and, like, putting it on the internet and just... Like, some people would say, oh, that makes him a hypocrite. And uh, it does. But how he's able to justify it... how You know, to play that character convincingly, the actor has to be able to see how did he get there emotionally and intellectually? How did he justify these things and he does you know and some of it probably has to do with the fact that Chris Cooper is just really good at being a Stobel uh, Stobel and Noick, uh Noble <laughs> and Stoic character um, and uh, so you know we wind up going on the same and his performance helps us go on Ryan Philippi's journey yeah. where we wind up really admiring him at first and by the end and then coming to really dislike him and, and be kind of scared of him and then by the end just kind of pitying him. And uh, and all of that in one in one character, you yeah. know. And it's really just a, a remarkable performance. Um, and I think I'll just I'll, I'll keep it to him. All the other ones that I that are on here are things that I think I've mentioned before.
1: Okay. Well, actually, I won't spend too much time because we talked at length about this before. But I can't not give this to Ben Foster for three ten to Yuma. Okay. So I mean, listen to the old episode if you want to know about why. But it just we uh, talked about we talked about this. Uh, on that episode too just young actors coming into their own right, you know it was right. a big theme this year and 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 he was amazing but i also want to mention i remember you used to joke that there should be a best cameo oscar you know best I, sort of like one scene and done uh, i don't
0: believe that i was joking when i said okay. that
1: <laughs> well uh Levon helm in shooter uh, okay. has has this one uh, has has one scene that is the jewel of the movie it just uh, for 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 one scene the movie just stops and you just get to watch Leon Helm be sort of a uh creepy old conspiracy theorist but very commanding.
0: Okay. All right. I still haven't seen Shooter, but I'm I'm eager to because it does have a nice stable of uh, of, of character actors. Yeah. Um which is always uh, an appeal for me. So
1: Okay, so um then supporting female
0: uh, well, I have me- I know I've mentioned this before, but Imelda Staunton in Harry Potter is that who you're going <laughs> to go? with? That's who I was going to say. Well, shouldn't have thrown it to me. You know, <laughs> maybe maybe jump out there. Um, but yeah, uh, as I've said before, this is a character that is somewhat one note, but I guess she's also somewhat contradictory. That she can be so cruel, and she is cruel mm-hmm. um, and sadistic. But that she can just smother it in this nice, old, grandmotherly kind of uh, charm isn't the right word. But just she seems so benevolent and that she is. There are scenes where she is smiling and I mean, you look behind her eyes and you can tell she's about to explode with rage. I mean, she literally she seems like. You know, she seems like she could have played like a sadistic nun of some sort who just has horrible rage issues, but was taught pretty early. It's like, you're British. You're not allowed to have these emotions. And so she just keeps them all inside. And because she does that, because she hides her cruelty and evil beneath this very nice and prim and proper exterior, you wind up hating her even more. Yeah. Now, what, what what's your take on that?
1: Well, I mean, I I can't not think of President Bush when I think of her performance <laughs> because essentially President Bush is a person who condones torture and you know uh, preemptive strikes and all these things that, in my opinion, are really awful. Mm-hmm. And yet he is never not smirking. He is always the <laughs> good old boy. Hey,
0: never not smirking. That's our favorite uh, podcast. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> Uh so yeah, that that's what I think of it is is uh, that it's it, it captures the the essence of George W. Bush.
0: There's actually there's a lot of interesting political yeah undertones to that movie. The idea that like that there are characters like that who, you know, condone torture and are willing to do anything they have to do to get their way, but the idea that they are also representing people who refuse to acknowledge any kind of threat.
1: You right. know, and yeah. just like
0: no 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 I just they put their hands over their ears and they're like, no, everything is fine. Don't try and throw us into a panic with your conspiracy theories or, or with your kind of fear mongering. You know. It's, yeah.
1: So she represents sort of both reactions yeah. to the terrorism threat.
0: Yeah, here. it's a really interesting character okay. and uh, interpretation.
1: Well, I guess since you took mine, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll have to go with. Even though we talked about this movie at length uh, the other day, the other week, uh, we didn't really talk about Amy Ryan very much in oh, yeah. Gone Baby Gone. Yeah, uh, which uh, she got she got nominated, right? She sure did. Yes, uh, I, I forget. And uh, up until you know, and she's it was
0: as far as like being the favorite. Like it's it's between her and Kate Blanchett. So until Ruby D won the uh, Screen Actors Guild Award, so
1: now it seems to. Be yeah, I don't know what that's. So. I mean. American Gangster is not that great a movie. No, it is not. And her performance is good. Yeah, but it's it's not a very it's it's not a great script. There's and her performance is good enough, but in service of nothing to me. (laughs) Right. Uh. But yes. But we got off off topic. Yeah. Because Amy Ryan, on the other hand, we talked about with Philip Seymour Hoffman with sympathizing with someone who's uh, atrocious. Yeah. Uh. And Amy Ryan is arguably. Uh, a worse person than Billy <laughs> <laughs> Hoffman, and, and before the devil knows you're dead. Not Amy Ryan, right? Uh, obviously, her character, uh, and and yet she seems so real uh, that you almost want to feel sorry for her. There's a, I, and I don't know if this is sexism or what to to always point out when a a female character character is vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, and maybe it's just my male point of view, yeah. But I uh, I, I do feel a certain bit of sympathy for her because of uh even though as, as awful as she is it's it's a, it's it's almost passive you know she's not uh she doesn't set out to be an awful person she just is and yeah and you and i feel sorry for her and i and i want to like and i feel like much like casey affleck's character at the end who's there and taking care of the of the girl, this is a spoiler. I'm sorry. I should have said something. <laughs> spoiler. Uh, but Casey Affleck is there and taking care of her daughter, and uh, and that's. I feel like I could just as easily get sucked into that trap, you know. Which it doesn't. Which is another good choice in the movie is that it doesn't make him seem like heroic for doing so. It seems right. like this is the the trap that he's been that he's led himself into. And I can see myself being led into that trap because as awful as she is, uh, you you want to like fix her you want to make her better you, you want to help her
0: yeah she that's the thing is she she never tries to be more she never tries to imbue the character with more than than the character has just like pretty much every other character in the movie she is a product of her environment you yeah. know but the fact that she is a woman and a mother makes it somewhat tragic um and and she is playing what some would you know i i don't necessarily like the term but what some people would refer to as trash, yeah. And you know, having lived in both, you know, sit, you know, we've, you and I have lived in, you know, big cities, and then you know, I've lived we in a small town. We both lived in Missouri, and we both lived in Missouri.
1: Well, and and, there, yeah, and I love Missouri; it's my favorite absolutely. state in the union, by the way, because uh, <laughs> I'm from there. Yeah, but yeah, there's a lot of what you would call trash there. Yeah, and I, where I. My school district, sort of, the school itself was in a very wealthy suburb, but mm-hmm. the district incorporated less wealthy suburbs. Right. And so, I went to school with girls who maybe weren't as bad as Amy Ryan's character, right? But might have grown up to be. And I was friends with these, like, I absolutely. Uh, and and so maybe that's part of what what I like about the performance so much is that it f- feels like people I know.
0: There was there was a family when I lived in Nixon, Missouri. There was a family, and literally, it was like. Uh, what is it in Billy Madison? The O'Doyle's? Yes. O'Doyle rules. There was a family that was like the O'Doyle's, literally, and they had like a ton of kids and literally everyone was awful. And you're like, wow, a whole family of this. And and everybody in that family, I mean, when I when you listen to Amy Ryan, just talk about you know d- talking about like all the other people that lived in the old neighborhood. Like there's one specific line where she's talking about uh, this woman who like lives with a bunch of cats or something like that, and then just like it's like yeah, and her house smells like caulk. <laughs> like she like she says that, and this is like in the midst of like her her daughter is missing and stuff. Yeah. D- that's the thing is just she doesn't try and make her like constantly like worried and frightened and all that. Like she just she just goes back to. Who she is, you know, and just she reminds. She's probably
1: had enough rotten shit happen to her in her life that she knows how to cope. It's
0: just like, oh, this could possibly just be one more fucking thing I have to live through. Yeah, and uh, and she does just feel like she could, like that kind of character could live anywhere. She does, as you say, feel she feels so so real.
1: Okay, so uh, what 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 technical thing do you want to talk about? Um, Or do you want to talk about director? uh, Let's see. Because I don't really have much to say about directing. I'm just going to get out of the way. It's Paul Thomas Anderson for me. Okay. Favorite film, favorite director. The two go hand in hand because I subscribe to the auteur theory.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Especially with with him. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I was actually discussing with a friend of the show, Jason Eakin, how at the Oscars this year, I I could easily... I don't know if it will happen and I could just easily see best director and picture going to the Coen Brothers and No Country for Old Men, but I could also see picture going to no country and director going to Paul Thomas Anderson, because his was the, this was his year as far as just a director with just such a freaking obsessive vision that like the fact that he got such an amazing movie up there at all and didn't just implode (laughs) is, is an achievement in and of itself. Um, yeah, he, he really, I would say his, he is the best director of the year. Um, but uh, but Agreed. as I said, I want to try and mention. Somebody. But I also want
1: to mention a couple. Uh, oh, okay, but, go ahead. Uh, best uh, first time director is a, is a tie. We talked about Ben Affleck, but I also want to Anton Corbin, who made Control. I, I oh, think okay. It's, is a, a startling debut.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, Ben Affleck is on my list here. Um, I was going to bring up David Cronenberg. Okay. Who, as you know, I'm not a huge I'm not a huge fan of the movie, but. Uh, you know, uh, the more I think about it these days, the more Cronenberg has, bec- has become just re- really one
1: of my favorite directors. Like, he really yeah. is just. And a lot of people want. And talk about auteurs. I mean, yeah. Uh, I remember. Um, I can't remember if this was like the IFC magazine or something like that, but uh, someone was saying that an auteur is someone if you can watch, uh, you know one minute of any one of their movies and know who it is, who made it. And that's – Cronenberg definitely fits that mold.
0: Although some would say that his last two movies are very much out of step with what he normally does. I think maybe
1: thematically, but I don't know if it's just his last two movies because I would go back to – I mean Spider is not uh, exactly – what old school Cronenberg it's was. It's not old
0: school Cronenberg, but it certainly is. Uh, th- that one thematically is close to his stuff. Right. These new ones.
1: Uh, but I, I still think stylistically. Oh, yeah. Uh, which is really what, what this this article I'm talking about was talking about, was mm-hmm. just the, the look and feel of the movie. Right. Without, uh, separated from themes and, and characters. Right. Just uh, what sort of stamp they put on it. And no matter who Cronenberg works with, just like no matter who Woody Allen works with, their movies are all... Uh, of a, of a piece,
0: yeah. He really, uh, and that's the thing is some people would almost criticize him for go- for as they say, uh, you know, going mainstream with History of Violence and Now Eastern Promises. I praise him that he manages to take on n- uh, very new genres and re- and retaining the Cronenberg feel. I yeah. mean, he's a guy who is taking on basically has taken on the mainstream genres in that like. Oh, they're thrillers, and there's always going to be a certain amount of violence in thrillers. But in true Cronenbergian uh, fashion, he shows what the violence will look like. He may he may make it a bit more extreme, but only to make it more gruesome yeah. and una- and unappealing.
1: The other major theme of his that I always uh, notice is that whatever the characters are going through, it manifests itself manifests itself physically on their body. You know, right. you think of go back to James Woods reaching inside his stomach to pull out a gun, right. In Videodrome, uh, you go to the little spinal import things in Existence, yeah. uh, and of course, I mean Ed Harris in History of Violence has uh, you know that scarred up right. face, and uh, this is sort of a it was sort of a different because it wasn't mut- mutilation in a sense in Eastern right. Promises, but the tattoos fit in with that,
0: yeah, and that. And that other characters are basically using that as their, you know, that's how they judge uh, yeah. these characters is is with the tattoos. And so, and you know, to my knowledge, Cronenberg has never been nominated for best director, right? Uh, I don't think. I don't, he ever I don't has. think so. But and and it you're is you're the shame. Oscar
1: historian of the two of us.
0: That I guess that's true. Um, but yeah, it is a shame. He's he's one of the best directors working today, and uh, and Eastern Promises you know as much from the story from a story standpoint as much as i i won't even say didn't like it as much as i didn't love it from a directing standpoint it's amazing you know and i really like the direction that he is heading
1: so um okay so uh what what, what technical awards do you want to talk about well um you know as far as uh
0: as far as like cinematography i mean this certainly seemed to be roger deacon's year um Okay, I have well. not seen Assassination of Jesse James, but last night I did watch uh, In the Valley of Elah, and oh. I saw No Country for Old Men, and just and yeah, Deacons is, you know, he's a guy who really understands how important it is to to like have almost snapshots where like, especially in No Country for Old Men, like you can like he'll have a shot that's just a static shot, and it's very. It's it's almost iconic, you know? I mean, he understands that, okay, No Country for Old Men is a very American movie, and so I'm going to make this seem almost as if it were a John Ford film, you mm-hmm. know? But make it not quite as lavish or lush as one of his movies, because that's not the America that we're talking about. We want to evoke that, but actually show the underbelly, the underside of that. And so he he has these large sweeping vistas... But they are very dead and just lacking in all kind of life or not the kind of life that you like.
1: Right. Well, um, I actually am going to give my uh, cinematography to Robert Elswit for there, there Will Be Blood. Okay. And much like when I talked about my favorite movies, I talked about There Will Be Blood by comparing it to No Country for Old Men. Okay. I'm going to talk about Robert Elswit by comparing him to Roger Deacons. All right uh roger deacon's cinematography in no country for old men is like everything else in that film perfect right it, it fits exactly what needs to happen and what needs to be seen exactly uh and that's one of the uh, i think uh, best qualities of no country for old men is that there's no fat on that movie at all no not at all it, it's exactly what it needs to be and, and nothing more there will be blood is a little more virtuosic mm-hmm. uh, and, and a little more showy yeah uh but i i, I just like uh robert ellswood who's a fantastic cinematographer in everything that he shoots but is never more uh expressive than when he works with paul thomas anderson Hmm. and uh i mean much uh, there's a lot of the uh similar you know visual uh metaphors and themes like you're talking about in no country for old men a lot of the same stuff is in is in there will be blood you know it's the lots of uh large american vistas you know Hmm. where um and and Roger Deacons approaches this by by you talk about it dulling down the John Fordism by and, and a lot of No Country for Old Men is shot in sort of dusky times yeah. of day, you know, and and uh, uh, Robert Ellswood does it takes a, a different tack. He 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 plays with a, a contrast between harsh sunlight and shadow, right? Uh, and it, I mean, especially the first uh, almost wordless twenty minutes of that film uh, rest more than anything for me on Robert Ellsworth's back. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause he, and of course, then Day Lewis is no slouch either, but uh, <laughs> Robert Ellsworth guides us through those first 20 minutes. Uh, Robert Ellsworth, I, I, right. I always fuck up his name. Um, uh, and I've not, I've not thrown myself off course, <laughs> but um, uh, he, he makes it, he makes it so watchable that it, it really is. And I mean, that first twenty minutes could almost be shot in black and white. That's oh, the yeah. extent to which he's playing with. He's using just the contrast of shadow and light, you know. Mm-hmm. And and it seems like it's, uh, much like all of there'll be blood. It, the cinematography seems a little more ballsy in there'll be blood than it does in No Country for Old Men.
0: You know, and if you, and that's the thing no, is, no, I'm you're, not shitting on Roger. No, Dickens. no, it's fine. That's the thing is, like, No Country for Old Men. The in both movies, the cinematography. Uh, accomplishes what the directors are trying to accomplish. the The cinematography in No Country for Old Men, for the most part, uh, kind of dwarfs the characters because yeah, yeah. they are small and insignificant yeah. in the long run and that kind of thing. Whereas uh, the cinematography in uh, There Will Be Blood, Daniel Day Lewis is often not necessarily front and center, but I mean, you know, there are shots of him like you know, looking at a big fire. And granted, you're just seeing his back, but it's like the movie never lets you forget that he is the focus. Even in the midst of these large, you know, in the great outdoors or anything like that, he is bigger than the great outdoors, you know? I mean, it's important. Like, in one of the shots, I think, the first shot in which he he speaks, you know, the camera stays on him, you know, and... There are people, and even when it comes time for the people he's talking to to speak up, it stays on him. Yeah. he is the more he's the most
1: important part. Which of is why scene. we don't get any clear shots of Paul Up Tompkins I, in that scene. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> um, for those who don't know, uh, I know. I mean, I, a lot of our fans are comedy fans because of because we are, and we have comedians on the show. But right. uh, for those who don't know, Paul Up Tompkins is a brilliant comedian. You've seen him on Best Week Ever. Yeah, and uh, he's one of the. F- one of the funniest people working today. Yeah. And he's in There'll be Blood, but you can't really see him.
0: Right. And he does have some lines. He in yeah. which he's like, Mr. Plainview, Mr. Plainview. I believe <laughs> I believe that's what he said. Um, so uh, you know so he'll be very humble and he'll say he doesn't have any lines. But hey, you remind him that he says Mr Plainview two or three times.
1: And then I um, think like
0: No 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 no, there's no
1: problem. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> that's, that's what he says. Yeah. Um, uh, okay.
0: Now as far as uh, as far as screenplay Okay. Uh, now,
1: yeah, I hadn't given the said say. I haven't hadn't given enough thought to this one. Yeah. Um, um, let's see. Well, I
0: can't just say not Juno because that would be negative. <laughs> um, what I would uh, because oddly enough, and I won't talk much about this because I want to devote more time to it someday. Um, my least favorite part of Juno is the screenplay. Um, it's a it's a textbook example of. Really great acting, elevating uh, very inferior uh, material. Um, but I will say,
1: you, you, wait, you're not talking about Entertainment Weekly's newest back page columnist, are you? Diablo oh, Cody. That's right. That's right. Former stripper, you know, David. But I'm saying anyone who can score the back page of EW <laughs> is nothing to sneeze at.
0: Absolutely, because I mean, if there's one thing that they've that it, that EW has shown us, it's that. They like their columnists to be to write really realistic, intelligent dialogue that every, anybody would say. Um, and you know what? I'm making reference to Stephen King, by the way. Yeah,
1: a little bit of a tangent here. Okay. Uh, I like Entertainment Weekly. I've been a subscriber for years and years. That's right. Uh, the back page, except for now. I mean, now they're doing the thing where they switch off. You know, and yeah. I look so forward to Mark Harris's writing because it's yeah. a, a real column. You know, with real thoughts. Right. You know, and Dalton Ross is usually funny too. Stephen King, whom I love as a novelist, <laughs> yeah. as as pedestrian as that may make me sound, I love his novels. He's—I n- don't—I doubt that as uh, as a junior high schooler he wrote anything as ridiculous as the things that he writes for Anatomy Weekly. There, I—they make me grit my teeth. And then, I mean, let's not even go. If diehard Anatomy Weekly fans will remember that they briefly had Joel Stein right in the back page, which is fucking infuriating and i hate that, that guy has any <laughs> career as a writer but most of you probably don't know who he is he writes for time and he's just a fucking obnoxious misogynist prick okay who thinks he's funny and it's not funny ever at all ever all
0: right um yeah stephen king what's what's interesting is his uh, column any anytime he's talking about like the my favorite books of the year my favorite movies of the year and it's fine i understand you know
1: you're saying... I love flipping to the back page to see what Uncle Stevie has to say. Exactly. Him. To, oh, and, and make uh, him so bad.
0: Exactly. And just like... <laughs> and what he'll always say, and I understand, you gotta... I mean, David and I talk about our favorite movies as opposed to what we think the best are. Yeah. Um, and so... He qualifies it by saying it's just me. But he'll also just he makes a big point of saying it's just like, hey, you know, I'm just a regular guy and this is what appealed to me. And you read it, it's like, Yeah, I'd say that's about right. Yeah. Uh you're pretty middle of the road. Exactly. It's like and your defense of it is terrible. Really quite terrible. It just like you saying what you liked about it, it's like wow, you haven't you haven't really you haven't convinced me that even you like it, much less I should like it, you know. Yeah. Um yeah, it's, uh, okay, I'm sorry, that was a slight, that was a tangent, but um, but yeah, uh, and I will say this about Diablo Cody being, uh, you know, a, a columnist, at least then it's okay for all the words to sound like her, um, whereas <laughs> in a screenplay, whereas right. it turns out there's several other well characters. Well said. Um, all right, but I so, will say, uh, I don't know if it, is it Tamara or Tamara?
1: I think it's Tamara.
0: Okay. Uh, either way, that, Jenkins, uh, for the savages um you know i mean we've we've commented on how the brilliance of this movie is in its simplicity the 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 concept itself is not complex that way she can examine the complexity of the characters and she really does and she has you know it helps to have really good actors which she does but um but the back and forth between the brother and sister is always convincing and it really does seem like Uh, a brother and sister relating to each other in their, in when they're having fun, but also when they're arguing, you know, like the fact that, because, you know, relatives and, you know, uh, really close friends, people that have known you your whole life, they know the worst, the absolute worst thing they can say to get, to really just get your blood up, you know? And, uh, and she really explores that with these characters that... But also explores the fact that because they're family and they're the only ones they've got, forgiveness is a big part of it, you know? And uh, it's really just... The dialogue is amazing, but just the, the characters that she has created are so strong. Um, and so for me, I think one probably quite possibly the best script of the year is, is that one.
1: Okay, well, I... You know... Uh, if it was a screenplay, not a documentary, I would love to give it to the King of Kong. But as it turns out, <laughs> you can't write that shit. <laughs> um, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to have to go for it. I mean, it's somewhat obvious, but No Country for Old Men just okay. for uh, the Coen brothers have all, always written words that just that just dance. Yeah, uh, and there's then that's all the other things that are great about them are great. But the thing that makes their movies so rewatchable. Mm-hmm is the dialogue and no country for old men is no departure from that. So, yeah. Um, I'm
0: trying to think if there's any, like, you know, are there any movies you can think of that just really utilized visual effects or anything like that? Sure.
1: I mean, I, but I talked about, I am legend. That's true. Uh, I am legend for both visual effects. And I would say I know, honestly, I know very little about the way that sound and sound editing and stuff works. (laughs) So I don't really know how to judge it. Right. But, uh, I would also give that to, I am legend because it's, uh, it's it's just so creepy and haunting the way everything uh, both looks visual you know both the effects and the, and the way things sound. But I do want to talk about editing. If you have, okay by all means, uh, um, and again with editing, it's it's weird. With cinematography, I'm I'm more likely to give praise to something that is that maybe calls a little attention to itself and is a little right. bit showy, like I did with There'll Be Blood. With editing, I really like invisible editing. Right. Uh, so there's. Too, we've already talked so much about No Kids for Old Men that I'm not. It's perfectly edited, right? Uh, but I also want to talk about Zodiac, okay? Uh, which is my favorite edited film of the year. Yeah, uh,
0: because, which I believe we've mentioned very, very br- briefly. I think last week.
1: Yeah, so I, I, again, I won't, I won't, I won't talk that much about it. But for a movie that that's that long to move the way it does, and for a movie that's also that uh, that deviates so from normal story structure mm-hmm. to move the way it does and not feel like it's dragging ever. Right. Uh, at least for me, it never felt like it was dragging. No, not at all. Uh, that's 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 a real achievement.
0: Yeah. Um, for editing, and that's the thing is I don't have anything written, but I'll say, I'll say this, and maybe it's this is editing that calls attention to itself, but it's very much supposed to. Um, hot Fuzz.
1: Uh-huh
0: man it has to be because it's a parody of action movies and you don't quite realize that it's a parody of action movies until like the last act right. But um you know, the the editing is just it's very stylistic and they manage they have to be both funny and in the midst of it have like they have to have editing that evokes the craziest of action movies but evokes it to such a degree that we are laughing all the way as opposed to like in Armageddon or something, just being like, Oh, my breath is being sucked out of my body or something like that. <laughs> um, it has to evoke that to a comical degree. And it does for the most, I, I would say it does for the most part. And so, um, so yeah, like that's editing. That's a good example. I think of when editing is not invisible, but it's not supposed to be at all. You are supposed to be aware of it every step of the way. Okay. So Um I
1: think that's all I've got. Well I feel like we should uh I don't uh, I don't know what to say about costumes. Oh. Hmm. Uh, I I will say okay, I'm gonna say something about uh production design. And the the production design Oscar does often go to something that's showy. Right. Uh but I'm gonna I'm gonna go against that and I'm gonna give my, my production design award, as it okay. were, uh the the potency Okay. I don't know what we would call I, our yeah, awards I don't know what that is. uh to control okay. because of the way that uh much like we talked about everything you know every every person in no country for old men every technical uh artist is working into one whole you mm-hmm. know and that's what's happening in in control the way that the production design fits the the framing uh is perfect and also the way it fits the the themes and the emotions of every scene hmm. In film school, we'd have called that mise en scène. Mise en scène, that's right. Um, so uh, control gets the mise en scène award.
0: Yeah, and uh, and as far as production design, I do as much as I love you know uh, Sweeney Todd. I mean, Tim Burton movies always invariably have really solid production design, and Sweeney Todd is of course uh-huh. uh, no different at all. Um, it really creates this terrible view of London that, like, it's one of those things. Like, if I lived in London. I just be like, "Hey. That's not nice, you know, but um <laughs> so that's as far as showy uh production design. I mean, Sweeney Todd really does a does a really good job. But um as far as I, I do like production design that doesn't call attention to itself and you mentioned this with editing. Uh Zodiac really creates a time without yeah. saying this is the this is the decade that we're in. Look at those crazy ties, you know, or something right. like that. And I guess that's also a function of, of uh, costuming. But, like, much – a lot of people compared Zodiac to uh, All the President's Men, and I'd say rightfully so, because it has to evoke, you know, working people, you know, whether it be reporters or lawyers or – um or cops, or something like that, and they and you just have to feel like their lives are very lived in, you know. You have to feel like you're in a newsroom that these people inhabit every day, uh, or a police department where these people just go to work and they don't care if they're messy or not. They've just they've got stuff to do, and uh, and so the production design for Zodiac really does a good job of just making you believe where you are, but not being conscious of like. It's like, oh, wow, look how messy and look how full that frame is of things that should be in a newsroom. You know, you just feel like you're there. So all right. I like that kind of thing.
1: Well, I'm going to go ahead and I mean, we've got to wrap up. But I do want to. Okay. OK, costumes. I'm going to give it to Eastern Promises for making oh, okay. everybody look cool. <laughs> and also to Nancy Sender for Year of the Dog because I worked on it and Nancy's really cool.
0: OK. All right. There <laughs> you go. Um, so, yeah, uh, any, uh, as always, any individual achievements that you feel maybe we overlooked or that you just want to chime in, uh, feel free to email them to us at pretension at Hotmail.com. Or discuss
1: it on the MySpace group.
0: That's right. That's right. I will, uh, I'll put up a, a discussion thing on uh, MySpace as well as, as uh, Facebook if you want to join that group and, and uh, throw your opinions out there. That's perfectly fine. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, we'll, uh, we'll get you next time.
1: All right. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.